Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. The Bucks go for their fifth win in a row, this time against the Houston Texans, who have a chance to win the AFC South with a victory on Saturday, a nationally televised game on NFL Network. At Raymond James Stadium, Jameis Winston is red hot as a quarterback, back-to-back 450-yard-plus games. But can he keep that alive without his top two receivers, Mike Evans and Chris Godwin? We'll break down that game with Eduardo Encina of the Tampa Bay Times. And college recruiting has begun. Who had the best day, Florida, Florida State, or South Florida? We'll also talk about the bowl games and the national championship semifinals just a week away. We'll do all that with Matt Baker of the Tampa Bay Times on this edition of Sports Day Tampa Bay. I'm Rick Stroud of the Tampa Bay Times, along with producer Steve Versnick. All right, my buddy cop Eduardo Encina joins us now. We'll talk about this game on Saturday, a national TV game, triple header, NFL Network. We'll be here. Ed, they've won four in a row, but they take on a Houston Texans team that could clinch the AFC South with a victory on Saturday. Um, Look, this is a step up in class at the worst time, right? The Bucs will be without Mike Evans. They're going to be without Chris Godwin. Who the hell is Jameis Winston going to be throwing to besides <laughs> maybe Bashard Perriman? Who are these guys? Yeah, I mean, it's definitely going to be a uh, a different look for the Bucks in, in the passing game. And, you know, Mike Evans and Chris Godwin accounted for about, you know, 58% of, of that of all that passing yardage, that league-best league, league best, uh, passing yardage. So, uh, you know, you've, you've got to fill, find out a way to how to fill those gaps. So, obviously, Bashard Perriman's had a a big pass, you know, three games, three touchdowns last week. But you got to think that they're going to give him some more attention. So it's going to fall on some other guys. You know, Jameis Winston talked about uh, early in the week, and, you know, he told Cam Brait and O.J. Howard, you know, you guys are getting the rock. So, you know, expect to see a little bit more, you know, uh, of getting the ball to the tight ends. Uh, but also, you know, you're going to have to get some, some production from some of these other guys, like Justin Watson, who, you know, before two weeks ago had one career uh, NFL catch, you know. Ishmael Hyman, who, you know, came in uh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> who came in last week and, and caught a big first down pass. He was forced into the game because Godwin left. Uh, and then you got a couple other guys. Some guys we, we've heard of. You know, Spencer Schnell, he was with this team in the preseason. He was their third leading receiver in the preseason. I uh, got cut right at the end. He's been painting houses with his mom, uh, flipping houses. And then um, uh, Cyril Grayson uh, also joined the team. And he's a uh, – hasn't played <laughs> – <laughs> Wait, yeah, this is actually it's really, actually kind of funny, it's but it's funny. it's a heck of a story. Right. But uh, Cyril Grayson, who never played college football, was a track star at LSU. Last football game would be uh, right around 2011. Uh, his uh, high school senior year of high school in I believe uh, Kenner, Louisiana. 2011, uh, and now he's going to be in the National <laughs> Football League on Saturday. Active, and this guy has speed. Obviously, he was on some national championship uh, relay teams at LSU. So he's got that. He, he, actually, he actually has a great story. He found his way onto 
you know, pro day at LSU and ran a 4-3, and people were like, oh, who's this kid? And no one knew about him. <laughs> yeah. And so uh, he's kind of flipped around between practice squads and I think six different organizations. I think Bucks would be the sixth organization. Practice squads has never been on an active roster. He's never dressed for a game. So, um, But, you know, the other part of it with guys like that, those guys are important, you know, because, oh, yeah. uh, you know, when just using an example, you know, Two weeks ago, before two weeks ago, Justin Watson was a really part of a special team's play, you know. Now he's going to have to, you know, take, you know, a bunch of snaps on offense and maybe, do, you know, keep, keep being maybe the punter. Punt, return yeah. punt, uh, punt returner. So you've got to figure out who's going to replace him on special teams and, mm-hmm. you, know, you know, punt coverage, kickoff coverage. He was a punt protector you know, so, yeah, before he was that. He a protector, stuff like that. So, um, you know, that's where these guys might, might fit in. Uh, and, and their roles are important. You know, we, we know how much special teams matters uh, uh, in games. So, uh, yeah, it's going to be a much different dynamic. I, I joked in my story today that you know, for the first time in a long time, you might actually need your program <laughs> because you're going to have to look at this roster and be like, well, who's that guy and who's that guy? So um, no one's going to go out there and replace Mike Evans or Chris Godwin. But you just got to, uh, if you're a Bucks fan, you just got to hope that, you know, these guys – are, are put in the position where, you know, they can do their jobs. And they're going to have different jobs, you know. Uh, like I said, this is going to be – I think it's going to be a big game for the, the three guys we, we talked about at the top is Bashad Perriman, O.J. Howard, Cameron Bray. I think those guys are really going to have to carry a, a lion's share of uh, of the offense for the Bucks. And like, like I said, this this is a big game because, you know, obviously the Texans are playing for something. But also, you know, the, the Bucks are still kind of looking for that signature win. You know, mm-hmm. we – you know, they've won four straight, but you know, let's let's face it, they, those those wins aren't against great teams, you know. So, uh, I mean, I, I would I would still be tempted to say that their their best win so far was was that game on the road against the Rams in L.A. And that's the only team they've beaten, as it turns out, not their fault, but the only team they've beaten with a winning record at this right. point. Right. So yeah. you know, th- this them them getting this win, I think, does a little bit more than maybe just any other win in terms of continuing this this winning streak. I think this gives them a little bit of mojo. That can carry over into into next year. You know, you you beat a team that was really a really good team that was really fighting for something, um, and you know, I, this can be you know quote unquote their their signature win for 2019. It would be five in a row. It would be their eighth win of the season, which would mean significantly for this franchise that they wouldn't have a losing season and a chance to in fact have a winning one. Uh, at nine and seven, they've only done that twice since 2010. Had a winning season, so yeah, a lot on the line for the Bucks. Certainly not the playoffs. A chance to play spoilers, and and you mentioned the receivers. I thought just real quickly, Bruce Arians had a funny line because Vernon Hargraves is coming back to play for the Texans. Of course, he was he was waived by this team after like week ten, and we we asked about the familiarity he has with these receivers, and Arians said, "Well, he can't have that much because I don't even know who these guys are." <laughs> Um, but but obviously Hargraves will, will be somebody looking to pick off uh, Jameis Winston, and he knows that uh, Jameis will give him a chance. The thing about this game, you know, there is no hotter quarterback right now in the National Football League than Winston. He has thrown for 456 and 458 yards in the last two weeks. No quarterback has ever done that. As Arian said, when you start talking about things that have never happened before in the NFL, you don't want to just brush over it. So... He's playing extremely well, four touchdowns last week. Now, he won't have his key components. But in a way, as Jameis tries to make this case right for himself, uh, as he said last week after the game, he hopes he's making a good case to come back and continue being the quarterback, however that plays out, franchise tag or something else. Here's an opportunity for him because 
what great quarterbacks do in this league is they make guys around them better. I thought he did that with Perriman a week ago. You know, Godwin Absolutely. went out in the second half. He kept throwing the football. Perriman made some plays, and they got in the end zone three times. Um, you know, he's still got – it's not as if there's nobody out there that can play. I mean, O.J. Howard is a very good player. He hasn't had the targets, but he may get his opportunity, you know, on Saturday. And, and the same is true with Cameron Brace. So it's not like they have no one on the field that can play. But if, if Jameis Winston can go toe-to-toe – with Deshaun Watson and the Houston Texans against a secondary that isn't that good, that got blown up by the Denver Broncos a couple weeks ago at home, then all of a sudden that even elevates Winston's worth and value and the perception of people have of him uh, if he can pull this off without Mike Evans and without Chris Godwin. Yeah, you know, and, and as much as, as you're right, it is about, you know, Winston making the guys around him better. It's also about those guys doing their jobs Absolutely. and doing them early, too. I mean, mm-hmm. I feel like you know, when Jameis has gotten in trouble, it's been when, you know, maybe the, the the offense starts off slow or gets a little raggedy. You know, maybe a guy drops a ball here. You know, maybe he, a, a ball gets overthrown there. And then all of a sudden, maybe you're kind of starting to, to stretch it a little bit, and, and that's when those, those, those interceptions might come. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, if this team gets off to a good start, like any start that's similar to the one they had last week in Detroit, you know that'd be hard. That's gonna hard be hard to do because the Texans are obviously a much better team than the Lions. Right. But getting off to any sort of fast start will really benefit this team and really loosen up everything. Loosen up for Winston. You know, maybe you can start utilizing the running game. Obviously, they've had some struggles really kind of establishing that. But that that's kind of what needs to happen, especially against a good team like this one. You know, um, you know when we talk about the Texans, they're a team that you know obviously we can talk about. You know uh, Deshaun Watson for for a long time. He's one of the best quarterbacks. I know that Lamar Jackson gets a lot of credit right now, but you know Deshaun's been doing it for a couple years. Before, you know too, and and yeah. uh, you know I, when you look at the Bucks, one thing that that defense has really struggled with is the mobile quarterback, and not necessarily the, the quarterback. You know, we talk about mobility and not a running quarterback, and not necessarily a running quarterback, but you know, guys like Watson, like Russell Wilson, who can move around in the pocket, mm-hmm. but also look downfield. Those right. are guys who extend plays with their legs, but are not necessarily, you know, they're, they're, they're not necessarily looking to run. They're just looking to find guys downfield. That's what Watson does really well. He has one of the best weapons in the game in DeAndre Hopkins. And uh, you know, if that tandem gets going, the Bucks are in for a long, long, long afternoon. Yeah, and I think that this will be – a big test for that secondary, which is playing with a lot of confidence. And there is, there is an absolute correlation between the Bucks waving Vernon Hargraves, uh, you know, after that game where he, uh, you know, was caught uh, sort of loafing uh, and was benched during the game for Jamel Dean, who then has the interception that leads to the game-winning touchdown. Dean and Carlton Davis, these last five weeks or so, have been the best tandem of quarterbacks in the NFL. Um, I think Pro Football Focus had a stat that said they've only had 33% of the passes uh, really completed on them. And during that time, I think Davis leads the NFL in passes defense. That might be in part because he can't catch the ball, uh, but uh, but he's at least been in position uh, to make plays. But, but we talked to Todd Bowles this week about DeAndre Hopkins and, and Bruce Arians about him, who says he's some combination between a Musin Muhammad and Steve Smith, who was just an absolute beast. Um, this is a this is you know between him and Kenny Stills, they've got some weapons on the outside that we've probably not seen since the Seattle game when they gave up all those touchdown passes with Russell Wilson. Right. I mean, you know, 
the Lions had to have a couple of, of weapons, not in that game, but you know, Galladay and sure. uh, and, and Marvin Jones are, are a really good. Jones, was Jones wasn't wasn't in that game. played and had a hundred yards. Yeah, yeah. so. Um, but yeah, this is probably the, the best tandem that, that they're faced that they faced in a while. Mm-hmm. Um, so you know, I mean, I, I guess you know, Atlanta, you, you can say with, with Julio Jones oh, and sure. Calvin Ridley, you've got some you know, some really good wideouts there. But you know, but th- th- these guys these guys are, are legit. So um, and and yeah, I mean this 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 is a great opportunity. You talk about like where the Bucks have to win and where they these guys have to gain. You know that, that that secondary has a great opportunity to really kind of you know for them also yeah. have kind of a signature win for them. You know, I mean they've made plays. They've you know they've they've been dramatically much more around the ball, um, and you know now they have an opportunity to really kind of stop a really potent offense, a really potent passing attack uh, this week against Houston. So um, you know, and, and, and you know we we we've seen gradually uh, this this secondary grow. You know whether. And, and, and you know they're going to need the same kind of big play that you know they got last week out of Sean Murphy Bunting That's, with the big. Take sticks. the ball away. They're going to need to get some turnovers, and you know, they, like if, if they don't, uh, it, it could be a, a long day for them as well because uh, this they can't get involved in a I don't think in a back and forth kind of shootout with the Texans because you know they're going to have to you know, much like last week you know good field position get some turn get some takeaways. Uh, and, and jump out to a quick start. I think those are the keys to uh, to Saturday. It's weird because they played very well on the road. They're five and three. Usually, when you go five and three on the road, that translates to a playoff spot. If you do the same at home, you win ten. Do better, you win eleven or twelve. Um, that hasn't happened. Of course, one of the games was in London, probably Jameis's worst game. One thing, though, if they do get a lead on the Houston Texans that the Bucks have not been able to do, and that's find their Mariona Rivera and close it out with a running game. Yeah. Can they pound the ball in the fourth quarter? Can they move the chains, melt the clock away, and try to protect some kind of a lead? They weren't able to do it last week in Detroit. They found themselves needing a play from Sean yeah. Murphy bunting a pick six with Detroit down by a, a touchdown at their 30-yard line. And it looks for all the world like this is the Giants game revisited where they're going to be either in overtime or in a tie game despite Jameis Winston throwing for all those yards. So what the hell is going on with the Bucks running game? Now the attempts are there, and it's helping the play-action pass, but they're just not getting any yards. And I thought for the first time in a while last week, Ronald Jones tried to press it a little bit too much. I felt like he was looking to hit the home run, much like he did his rookie season, trying to bounce things out on the perimeter, you know, trying to get more than maybe what was there at times. But Ronald Jones still hasn't actually fulfilled what I think. I know he's gotten better, but I don't think he's quite shown that he's that explosive guy that they thought he was so far this season. Yeah, so the last game starts off with a really big play by by Ronald Jones in, in the passing, in the passing game, game. A, a twenty, I think it was like a twenty-seven yard yes. pass, and you know you're thinking, oh man, like this you know, is when, it. When, when he's catching balls and yeah. he's running between the tackles, it's, fast, it's, yeah. it's 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 great to see. But you know, it kind of disappeared from there. Like like you said, I think he tried to maybe do a little bit too much, a little bit of dancing behind the the, the line where mm-hmm. he's at his best, where he's just hitting the hole and then let lets the speed kind of take over and the power kind of take over. So. You know, as we know, you know, with Ronald Jones, this is kind of like, you know, 
it's been an up and down year for him, but in the main scheme of things, it's it's been kind of like a rookie year for him. You know, he didn't last year he played, but he didn't play that much. You know, he had the injuries and stuff like that. You're this this guy's still developing. I think the team still thinks really highly of him that that he can be that that kind of guy for them. But yeah, but definitely, you know, you you're starting to see a little bit of I don't want to say regression, but it is kind of you know you want to see those guys, especially young guys. Make those steps in week 15, 16, yeah. 17. Don't you know? take a step back. Right. And, 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 yeah. and we, we, we've, we, if we've seen the best of Ronald Jones in 2019, we, you know, you don't want that to be in, you know, week eight and nine. You want it to be, you know, now, especially as this team's rolling, as this team's starting to get better, because he's got to be a big part of them winning. You know what I mean? And, and he really, you know, has it for the most part. So, um, but yeah, it was really kind of weird because like I said that first play, you're like, he just streaks down the sideline. You're like, man, this is going to be, it's going to be a good day for him. And then you're really nothing after that. In a game where they need weapons, Ronald Jones could be that weapon along with the tight ends we mentioned, um, you know, in the past. Now, the other thing that, uh, the Bucks will be battling, not just the injuries to Godwin, uh, of course, and, and Mike Evans, uh, but they got some, some other guys beat up as well. Um, but defensively, they've managed to hang in there. But Bo Allen won't be in this game. He's got an ankle injury again. Uh, so, you know, they're a little thin on the defensive line. Look, uh, Shaq Barrett tied the record last week. He has a chance to break the record this week. He's got two more looks at it, just needs one more half sack to top, top Warren Sapp. He's currently got 16 and a half. We'll find out what happens as, as far as free agency goes or a tag. He says he wants to be here. The Bucks certainly say he's not going anywhere. Uh, but Shaq Barrett against a Deshaun Watson, a running quarterback, a little harder in some ways to get down, but then I've also seen guys that try to extend plays. Maybe they're easy. You, you get more sacks against the Mike Vicks and, and people like that sometimes than you do against a, a pocket passer. Yeah, I mean, the, Shaq actually talked about a little bit this yeah. week, talked about how you know guys like that are, 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 are hard to – they're slippery, right? Yeah. They're, they're, they're hard to get their hands on. You know, he remembers Russell Wilson. He remembers – uh, Kyler Murray, you know, these are guys who are, you know, they're, they're just slippery. And, mm-hmm. and you've got to attack them a little bit different way. You've got to kind of gut, come come at them head on more so than trying to grab, you know, go low because their their feet are always moving. And before you know it, you've got to, you know, swipe full of air. So, um, you know, Barrett, I think what he said this week was pretty interesting in, in terms of saying not only does he want to stick around, he wants to – see how many of these guys he can keep you know like i bring think, with them right, right? i think yeah. this this he, he said he's like there's two ways you can look at it you know the front office can look at his thing like y- you know what you've got you you know you, you know what what we did you know especially you know gelling at the end of the season you know for us we've also got to be like hey we're not going to go after the the biggest deal that we can get you know and and um it's interesting because there's a lot of guys who are going to be free agents you know especially amongst the outside linebackers you mm-hmm. know not just him jason pierre paul carl nassib um guys like that bo allen uh, inside nick and sue inside so that front that front uh, defensive front is really could take a very much different look it all starts with barrett though right i mean yeah. he's he's the guy that that you know you, you've got to make a make the big big decision on and i think that you know the, the frank. You can only give one franchise tag. You know, obviously, th- there's Winston as well. Uh, so you can't give them to both of them. But at the same time, there might be some way to kind of, you know, figure out how to keep both of these guys. And I think that's what you've really got to figure out how to do. The main thing you've got to figure out how to do it in the off season. 
I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Okay, Matt Baker joins us now. And uh, Matt, we got lots to talk about. Of course, the bowl games coming up, the national championship game, semifinals as well in, in a little bit. But let's start with the early signing period in college football, particularly right here in the state of Florida. And, uh, I, I guess if you're judging the classes, even though, again, it's, it's the early period, uh, Florida might have landed the best class, but you said Florida State might have had the best day. Yeah, the Gators class uh, was number eight as of this recording in the 247 composite rankings. That's about where they were kind of going into things. Um, so, I mean, the good this is, to me, a glass half full, glass half empty class for the Gators. I mean, you look at it. Uh, what they've done the last couple of years, back-to-back top 10 classes for Dan Mullen. This is, you know, if this holds through February, it'd be the Gators' best class ranking since 2013. That's all well and good. And they're getting enough kind of blue-chip guys to, to uh, you know, kind of about the baseline that you kind of sort of need to compete for a championship. The, the glass half-empty side says that, Florida didn't get any surprises on, on signing day. Um, you know, they were in it for uh, Emmett Smith's son, the four-star running back in the Dallas area. They were in it for uh, Harris, who ended up sticking with Bama. Um, that type of thing. They just didn't get a lot of those flips. So it was uneventful. And to me, the stunning fact, Dan Mullen still has not signed a five-star recruit from high school to the University of Florida in, in his three classes, or two and a half classes. Um, so, you know, again, he did, he did fine. It was a good class. Whether you think it was good enough to win championships kind of depends glass half full, glass half empty. Uh, but, but Florida State, one of the uh, better teams, I thought, just in how they closed uh, on Wednesday. You know, The class is still only 21st in the country, but they were able to get 15, 16 signees, you know, considering uh, the new coach Mike Norvell had like 10 or 12 days, I think it was, from when he was hired to get everything together. That's pretty remarkable in and of itself. And, and most importantly, they filled a couple needs. Uh, Willie Taggart did not sign an offensive skill player in the last class. So, you know, they, they filled that with, uh, you know, the, the running back from Pinellas Park, a, a couple of blue chip receivers, including one who, who flipped from Louisville. And then uh, the biggest need was, was quarterback because Taggart did not sign a quarterback out of high school and his two recruiting classes at FSU. Uh, the Knowles got two of them. Um, one of them was uh, from Valdosta, had been committed to USF until the, uh, the Knowles got him to flip. Then Chubba Purdy, um, his, his older brother Brock is the starting quarterback at Iowa State. He's a four-star top 200 prospect in the country out of Arizona. For the Knowles to land him and Norvell to land him so quickly in that timeline had FSU is going to, again, the class isn't as good as Florida's as a whole, but when you grade, grade it on a curve of where things were a month ago and where they are now, Knowles had a, had a nice signing day. Quarterbacks are always uh, important, of course, at every level of football, particularly in college. We, we, we know that Florida's situation is kind of in flux uh you know was dan mullen uh able to to land any quarterbacks as part of the early signing period 
He was. Anthony Richardson's a, a four-star prospect from actually just down the road at, at Eastside High School in Gainesville. Very talented guy. He's Not only did they land him, he's already on campus. I mean, mm. it, it's, a, it's a weird thing just the way the, the schedule has worked out, whereas the Gators are starting bowl practice. They've got three guys who are already there going through things. Now, they're not going to play in the game or anything like that. But the fact is they're still learning how to practice, you know, getting some conditioning, that type of stuff that's going to help them uh, as they go into uh, spring practice uh, later on and then obviously the season. So they're going to be kind of a little bit ahead of the curve of even the other freshmen. You know, the guy that had the fewest days, of course, was probably uh, Jeff Scott at the University of South Florida. Obviously, he has ties to South Carolina, was been a recruiter up there and in the state of Florida. But how did he fare given such a short time here in Tampa? I, I hate to give this answer, but it's really incomplete. I mean, yeah, uh, yeah. It's, he, he signed, I think it was seven guys is mm-hmm. the official number, somewhere in that seven to ten range. It's just so hard. And to, to Scott's credit, he said beforehand, like, look, we're probably not going to sign a lot of guys because I'm still getting the map, you know, still learning the lay of the land. And I'm trying to sell people on a school that I'm still learning um, with a staff that he hasn't been able to put together while he's getting ready to, to be a co-offensive coordinator for team playing for another national championship. So it, it's, you know, to his credit, he was honest and upfront about where things are. And to me, the bigger question with them, with, with the Bulls, is going to be, how do they close in February when he's actually going to have some time to put things together and get his staff situated and, and all that stuff? And then really, what are they going to do in the transfer portal? Because USF is an attractive place uh, for transfers, you know, maybe guys who, Mm-hmm. Went outside the state uh, looking for a second chance uh, closer to home. And, and a guy in Jeff Scott who recruited a lot of the high-end guys or at least knew and evaluated the high-end guys when he was at Clemson. So to me, those are going to be the better ways to judge Jeff Scott's early you know, early couple months compared to where he had what, eight days to start signing kids uh, here in the early period. Hey, Matt, how surprised were you speaking of USF and Jeff Scott that he did not retain any of the coaching staff that was left behind, including Kerwin Bell and Sean King? Not particularly surprised. Um, Sean King was a, a little bit of a surprise just because he's you know such a known commodity in this area, and I think you know most people around the program liked him and respected him. But as a general rule, you don't the new coach doesn't really keep a lot of the old guys. Um, that's just the way it works. You know, your Odell Hagens is th- those guys are the exception, uh, n- not the rule. So I wasn't particularly surprised, and I'm very curious to see what kind of staff uh, Jeff Scott does end up putting together. Because, again, he's never been a head coach. It doesn't mean he can't do it. It just means that this is a different kind of situation for him. And I'm curious what, if, or who, if anyone, he's able to bring with him from Clemson. You know, maybe elevate a position coach to a coordinator or something like that along the way. All right, Matt, it's bowl season. Let's talk about that. We'll get to the national championship semifinals here in just a second. But you mentioned Florida. They go to the Orange Bowl and are going to play Virginia, which made it all the way to the ACC title game. Uh, This doesn't look that competitive to me. I think Florida wins, but it's an interesting game nonetheless. It is an interesting game, but you're also right. I do not think it will be particularly competitive. Um, Yes, Virginia that they they made it to the they won the ACC Coastal, which is better than not winning it. But mm-hmm. there's they're still not a, a, a great team. And, and Florida is, if not great, a very good team. Florida's got more talent across the board. Um, as we record this, the, the only early entrant uh, to the NFL draft for the Gators is going to be C.J. Henderson, a uh, cornerback who's a 
you know, potential first round guy. He's going to skip the bowl game. But as far as we know, everyone else is, is going to be able to play. Um, and to me, kind of the matchup there that I'm going to be most interested in is Virginia's uh, offense against the Gators defense. Um, Bryce Perkins, Virginia's quarterback, is really, really good. I mean, he is a dynamic runner. He can throw well enough, but he is just really exciting to watch him move in the pocket and then the, the running plays they call for him because he's really good at it. Um, but that's a tough matchup for Virginia just because of the way Florida's defense works. Um, you know, they were one of the better defenses in the country all season. But now they're going to have uh, Jabari Zuniga, one of their defensive ends. He's expected to be back. And frankly, it's, it's good for him, I think, to play and show that he's healthy and have one more you know, set of four quarters to put on film before he goes to the NFL. And then uh, Jonathan Grenard, the other end, who's been banged up at times this season. He's, you know, because he's healthy, ready to go. And he's got one more chance to uh, show out for the scouts as well. So I'm curious kind of how they do. Uh, bookending the the defensive line um, and trying to contain Bryce Perkins, a, an electric quarterback. Florida State was bowl eligible. They go all the way to the Sun Bowl where they play Arizona State. And, uh, of course, a guy we know very well, Coach Herm Edwards, who's going to play to win the game. Hello. He is indeed going to play to win, to win the game, and, and I think he's got a good chance of it. Um, anytime you've got just this, so it's one of those weird settings right right now with Florida State because they've got the new coach who's not really going to be doing necessarily a ton of, of, of game prep because he's got to do other things. And he doesn't know the personnel. He doesn't know the schemes they've had. He won't have enough time to put in his system. So it's just kind of that weird limbo state with the Seminoles. And, and you also have to look, too, uh, bowl games are a lot of times about motivation and who actually ends up playing. Uh, the Noles' best defensive player this year, or, or most talented, I should say, uh, Marvin Wilson, defensive tackle. Well, you know he's not going to play. He's you know, banged up, getting ready for the league. Uh, we saw Hamza Nazaldeen. Uh, they're they're very good safety. Leave the Gators game uh, with an injury. Then you can look at Cam Akers. You know, just an electric. In a different situation, Rick, we would be talking about Cam Akers. I think as one of the best backs, if not best players ever at Florida State. Mm. But unfortunately, for you know just the situation he had, he ran behind two offensive lines that were bad and one offensive line that was historically bad. And he just happened to be there at the worst three-year stretch FSU's had in 40-plus years with bad offensive lines. And it would have been way worse without him. Um, And we'll see that, I think, uh, here in in the Sun Bowl because he won't be there because he's skipping the game to get ready for the the pros. So um, I don't have a great read on what FSU is going to be. Um, I know what we're going to get with, with Arizona State. A good, not great, but pretty good defense and an exciting uh, quarterback in, in, in Jaden Daniels, who's played pretty well down the stretch and obviously it led them to the uh, the big upset of Oregon uh, a couple weeks back. Wisconsin, speaking of Oregon, plays Oregon in the Rose Bowl, and you know the Ducks upset your Utah Utes. We were all excited about Utah. Well, Oregon took care of business, and they earned the trip out west. So. Uh, tell me about this matchup and just uh, you know the job that Oregon has done late in the year here. Yeah, Mario Cristobal has done a, a very nice job uh, taking what Willie Taggart was starting to build at Oregon, and, and to me, kind of putting taking it to the next level. You know, you look mm-hmm. at that past the, the last recruiting class, not not the one that is just starting to get signed, but the, the one before. Oregon did a really really nice job uh, this year. Again, the Ducks were uh, first or second in the Pac-12, depending on your recruiting rankings of choice. So Mario mm-hmm. Cristobal really kind of building the Ducks into, I think, down the line. I mean, this year, obviously, they were they won the Pac-12. 
I think in the next couple of years, we're going to be talking about them as the preeminent team in the Pac-12 going forward because of the way he's he's building them. Um, wow. You look at you look at like the, their you know, offensive tackle Panay Sewell, uh, who's a sophomore, is going to be a very high pick in the not this draft but the next one. A couple of people had him on their Heisman ballot um, yeah. just because they thought he was that impressive as an offensive lineman. So there's definitely talent there. And uh, Kayvon uh, Thibodeau was uh, the top recruit in the country, according to ESPN, in the 2019 class. He's made a bunch of good plays already for, for the Ducks. So, th- again, they're building some nice pieces. You obviously, you like Justin Herbert, the Ducks quarterback, who's, uh, you know, I don't know that he's going to be the top pick in this draft, but I think he's going to be one of the first couple of quarterbacks taken. And Wisconsin is still all about Jonathan Taylor. Um, you know, it's it's a shame he'll you know finish his college career not winning a Heisman, not getting an invite to New York, at, and I'm, I'm assuming for next year, um, just because he's been a, a you know one of the most prolific backs in the history of college football. So I'm curious to see how uh, how he does in Pasadena against a, a good Ducks defense. Yeah, I was sad for him. I thought he earned a trip uh, at least to uh, to be up there at the Heisman voting, um, but that didn't happen. You mentioned a bowl game you're going to be watching closely. Might not get a lot of attention nationally necessarily, but the Vegas Bowl, Washington and Boise State. Tell me why that's so interesting. It, it's so interesting because Chris Peterson, one of the most successful coaches of his era, maybe one of the best coaches outside of Nick Saban in his era. This is going to be uh, his last game for at least a little bit. He's burned out, and understandably so. So he's going to take a hiatus. Don't know if he ever coaches a, a, a game again as a major college coach. He's not ruling it out, but he, he needs a break to recharge. So his last game is going to be against the Boise State program that he helped build or helped continue to build into the, a, the group of five juggernaut that it is. So I think that's just kind of really poetic uh, fitting into Chris Peterson, at least this part of his career. And I'm curious to see just kind of how the Huskies look uh, – as he goes out and as Jimmy Lake uh, comes in as a new head coach, did uh, Jimmy, of course, was a, an assistant with the Bucks. Did you interact much with him? I did. Um, he was uh, an outstanding defensive backs coach. And, and we, you know, he wasn't here long, maybe a year, maybe two. Um, but I, I thought that, uh, you know, he's one of those guys, uh, much like the guy we're going to talk about a little bit next in P.J. Fleck, that you could recognize had head coaching potential. Um, didn't know he was going to get it this way, obviously, because nobody expected Peterson to retire the way he did. But I'm not surprised that uh, Washington went ahead and, and made him their head coach um, because he was certainly going to get a chance someplace. Oh, absolutely. Um, I, I might have said this on this podcast before. I can't remember. But um, when Joey Knight and I were, were starting to put together our list of potential next head coaches at USF, mm-hmm. I said, we got, we got to make sure Jimmy Lake's on there. Um, yeah. Again, I didn't know that USF would be the right fit for him, but obviously he mm-hmm. does have the ties to, to Tampa. He can walk, If he could have walked into a living room and said, hey, I coach Rondé Barber, that, that'll get some ears to perk up, among, especially among the, the moms and dads uh, and the, the head coaches. Um, but yeah, it's, I think he's going to do a great job at, at Washington. I, I interacted with him a little bit at the, the Peach Bowl semi before the title game in Tampa. And again, five, ten minutes with the guy, you're like, okay, he's extremely sharp. He knows what he's doing. He's charismatic. He's well put together. Uh, I, I think he's going to do very, very well for the Huskies. Yeah, absolutely. Well, as we say with the Outback Bowl, Jimmy McVeigh, he did it again. Great matchup, of course. Auburn, <laughs> and they play uh, Minnesota, which I think is a, it's the Golden Gophers' uh, first trip here. They were invited. You know, P.J. Fleck had a chance to sit down and talk to him during the signing party. You were there. I thought it was interesting. Uh, you know, Fleck is a charismatic guy. 
and he seems uh, very devoted to to uh, Minnesota, where he signed an extension. But just to give you an example, what I thought was interesting, Matt, was when he said that he had his players all wrote thank you notes to the Outback Bowl committee uh, because, as he put it, look, we were invited here. We didn't earn this. They they invited us, so when you're invited someplace, you say thank you. That's sort of what uh, P.J. Fleck is about. Yeah, I, that was something that jumped out to me. Um, I didn't know what I was going to think about P.J., to be honest with you, just because I, you know, I hadn't met him before. I hadn't talked with him before. And I've mm-hmm. heard some people think that his row the boat, uh, you know, extremely high energy, that type of stuff is is more of a shtick. But yeah. you know, again, just me talking to him, I thought he was pretty genuine. Um, mm-hmm. I, I, and it's it's that type of stuff where you know the the fact that they sent thank you notes is not going to win f- football games. I don't think that's going to help necessarily help him get the next blue chip receiver or whatever it is. But you know, he's he's uh, a former social studies teacher who's trying to help prepare his players for, for a life in the real world after yeah. football, whenever that ends. And that's just one of those nice little things. And uh, yeah, I, I came away very impressed with him and you can't look at what he's done with the Gophers this year and not be impressed about what he's done on the field too. I think he'll meet his match with Auburn. Uh, you know, the Tigers look, they, <laughs> if you talk about schedules, you're talking about Auburn and that's a really good football team that lost to some really good football teams. Absolutely, you know, just a, a great nine and three team. I and mean, obviously, they beat Bama to win the Iron Bowl. Lost a competitive game to Florida. Lost a competitive game to Georgia. Lost a competitive game to LSU. You look at the standings; all three of those teams are in the top ten, going to, to very nice bowl games. So, yeah, Auburn extremely talented. Um, Derek Brown, the, their defensive tackle, I had him third on my Heisman ballot. Um, wow! And you know, you, again, defensive tackles like offensive linemen don't get a lot of love. But when I was, you know, when I thought back to the Gators game, what he played in Gainesville, that might have been the best single game performance that I witnessed by somebody this year. Just because I mean, he was everywhere. Uh, Florida just could not figure out a way to block him. And it, it was it was extremely impressive to watch. And you know, that's just one of the dudes that Auburn has. Um, obviously, you look at, too, at the quarterback position. Uh, Bo Nix has definitely, I thought, improved over the course of the season. We'll see what he's able to do down the line against this this uh, Minnesota defense that's got some some really good players in the secondary. Uh, but a nice little kind of poetic thing: his dad Patrick played in the first bowl game in Tampa that was called the Outback Bowl, and now was it 25 years later? Son Bo is coming back uh, with a chance to to win another one for Auburn. It's a great story and a great matchup. Okay, next week that's what we're all waiting for: LSU and Oklahoma, Ohio State, Clemson. Let's start with uh, with the Tigers and the Sooners. Some big news out of uh, Norman where three players have been suspended for Oklahoma. Tell me about what's going on there and how that will impact the game. Yeah, you hit it right there. A couple players suspended. There's been a lot of rumors surrounding uh, the, the Oklahoma program with, uh, with other potential guys and, and what's going on here with, I guess, we'll kind of see whether there's any appeals and all that stuff um, with, with the three players out. Um, it, to me, the, the LSU, you know, it was one of the top two teams in the country, and, and they got a good. I mean, they got the lucky break there, being the top seed, because as, as good as Oklahoma is, and let's be clear, they are a very good team um, with a great offense. They're not Clemson. They're not Ohio State. Uh, I, I thought, and I, I've said it on here, I thought maybe the way Oklahoma runs the ball with a lot of quarterback stuff up the middle, maybe that could challenge LSU. 
But when you take away a couple players, a couple pieces getting suspended and everything else, yeah, I think, uh, you know, I feel much better about LSU winning and uh, winning probably by double digits in that one. Lincoln Riley is always going to be a hot name everywhere, especially in the NFL. Uh, he seems pretty, you know, cemented there at Oklahoma. Do you think anything like this might or what might be coming down the pike would influence that decision? Or do you think Riley will stay there in Norman? It's going to be it's going to depend, I think, on what opportunities become available. Um, and if I'm him, I would want to stay in Norman for a few years. Uh, you, you look at just the landscape of the Big 12. Texas hasn't been particularly good. Texas, yeah, the Longhorns have recruited pretty well, but I don't know that anybody's sold right now on Tom Herman being the guy that's going to bring them you know, back to a championship caliber. So the Big 12, it's, it's a good league, but not a great league, where right now it should be Oklahoma and then a drop-off, especially if Matt Rule does end up going to the NFL, which is a, a distinct possibility this year. You look at the way Oklahoma has recruited, where, again, they've been the class of the Big 12 in recruiting, so that's going to help kind of separate themselves a little bit more. And you have to remember, Lincoln Riley is still a young guy. If he goes to the NFL, and let's say he coaches the Cowboys for five years, does fine, not great, loses his job, what are the odds he's going to go back to college to a program in a situation as good as the one that he has at Oklahoma? Right. Mm-hmm. You're, you're, you're coaching a blue blood program. You have one of the best ADs in the country in Joe Castiglione. It's extremely stable. You have very good facilities. You've recruited at a high level in the past. You can recruit at a high level in the future. And the conferences you're, you're in, is, is it's a big boy conference that's very winnable for who you are. So he's in a great situation. So I think if I'm Lincoln, I survey, that, w- survey what I'm at and say, you know what? I might want to try and stick around here for another few years to try and win a championship and then maybe look at the NFL because the odds of you coming back to a situation that's as good as this one are not very good. Yeah, that's a good point. There's only one owner in the NFL I think you might have to listen to, at least have a conversation with, and I really believe if the Dallas Cowboys come calling, yep. that Lincoln Riley might have to at least take that phone call. All right, Ohio State and Clemson, I love this game. Uh, I think Clemson, with Dabo Sweeney, he's put the big chip on their shoulder. You know, Nobody wanted them there. Nobody thought they deserved to be there. Uh, they play in the ACC. Well, I think Ohio State might find out how good Clemson really is. What do you think of this game? I think this is finally a semifinal that's going to be good. And, mm. and, I, and I really, really hope it is because almost all of them have been dogs. They're terrible. Yeah. It, they've, been, they've been so bad. I mean, yeah. OU Bama was at least God entertaining last year, um, although it didn't start out that way. But almost all of them have been duds. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. Clemson being the doors off Notre Dame and... and uh, Oregon kicking the crap out of Florida State. It, it's been more games like that. Although we, you know, the, the other side is we've had fantastic championship games. So uh, I, I hope this year we can finally get get both. Um, I don't have a great read on the Ohio State Clemson game yet because mm-hmm. I think they're both pretty evenly matched. I've said several different times I thought Ohio State's the most complete team in the country. Then when you kind of sit back and look at the way Clemson destroyed everybody except for North Carolina. Clemson's really, really good. Um, as good as Justin Fields is, and he is a great quarterback at the college level. I think it was 40 touchdowns, one pick. Trevor Lawrence is more talented. Um, Trevor Lawrence you know, and Clemson has better receivers. Uh, running backs are comparable. Um, I think Ohio State has the edge on defense, particularly with, with Chase Young, you know, one of the top couple players in the country. But Clemson's got linebacker Isaiah Simmons, who's really, really good too. So you go up and down. These are two... 
uh, just teams that are that are absolutely loaded in terms of talent. Tons of NFL guys uh, on the you know on the benches and, and, and the rosters here. I think I might have to give a slight edge to Clemson just because they've been there, done that, and Dabo's been there, done that. Whereas uh, you know Ryan Day, the new Buckeyes coach, not as experienced in that. Um, but I don't think it's a a strong edge, and I just hope we finally get a good semifinal, Rick. Well, if everything goes according uh, to where you and I both think, it's going to be LSU and Clemson in the national championship game, and, and that would be Joe Burrow, of course, against a kid's the quarterback that could have been maybe given a competition, uh, you know, for the number one pick had he been eligible for the draft. But the weird thing about this, Matt, and you've spoken to it, you got to wait two weeks for this game. What is going on with the NCAA? This is not the NFL. Why do we have to wait this long for a championship? Well, it's not the NCAA. I mean, I guess it kind of is. The Bulls are their own stupid, dumb thing. I mean, don't get me wrong. <laughs> I, I, I love the bowl games because I will watch a ton of them. It beats hanging out with family most of the time. Heck, I'm gonna be, I'm gonna be doing some, uh, you know, go to my, my got family in Dallas for Christmas. I'm gonna go spend some time around the Cotton Bowl because I'm a degenerate before I go cover <laughs> the Orange Bowl. Um, I will watch as much of this stuff as possible. I'm working on something right now. Uh, for Tampa Bay.com and the Tampa Bay Times, uh, a reason you should care about all 40 bowl games. And, and believe me, I'm going to find interesting stuff that you're not even going to know about, Rick. But the bowl system is stupid. And it's stupid because the Rose Bowl and Sugar Bowl are contractually obligated. They are on January 1st, period, end of story. Rose Bowl kicks off at, was it 5 o'clock? So, Right heading into the fourth quarter, you can see the, the the sunset off the mountains. It's beautiful. It's wonderful, but it should change. The Sugar Bowl is in prime time because that's the way they want it. That's stupid and dumb, and I hate it because the, instead of the, it should be the semifinals on the first because um, that's a traditional college football day. But as it is, they got the semis on the twenty eighth, and then you have this long drawn out stretch. Uh, until we finally get the, the, the actual championship game. Now, there's going to be some stuff that us degenerates can watch. I mean, I'll, I'll watch the Gator Bowl, IU and, and Tennessee, and uh, I know you, Rick, could not be more excited for the Armed Forces Bowl bet- between uh, Southern Miss and Tulane. We got the, the Lending Tree Bowl. I don't even know what Lending Tree is. Listen, uh, if, you're talking, if you're talking about my favorite, let's just go right to it, okay? Florida International playing my Arkansas State Red Wolves at the Crampton Bowl in Montgomery, Alabama, I believe. Uh, yeah, the uh, Camellia Bowl. The, the Camellia Bowl. And it's it's actually going to be pretty good, Rick. Um, uh, Omar Bayless, one of the, I think is the number two receiver in the country for Arkansas That's right. State. That's He's right. going to be able to put up points. Arkansas's scoring defense is number 119 in the country, almost 35 points a game. So I think this is going to be like that. Every year there seems to be one, like, stupid yeah. random fun bowl game where it's like 45 yeah. to 41 and like just, somebody yeah. scores three touchdowns in the last minute and i i think this is is i think that your, your red wolves are going to be playing in that one um but i guess to, to end my my rant here um the, the system is dumb and needs to change because again the, the, the tradition of the bowl games is wonderful i like it all but some of the traditions are just traditions because they're traditions and that's stupid and dumb and that leads to things like having two weeks uh, of, of waiting and talking about before we finally get, you know, LSU, Ohio State or LSU Clemson. So we need more hype about the national championship game. 
You can read your reasons to care about all 40 bowl games on TampaBay.com and in the Tampa Bay Times by Matt Baker, who joins us each week. Matt, good talking to you. Merry Christmas to you, buddy. You too. Thanks, Rick. All right, well, it all happens on Saturday, nationally televised game at 1 o'clock, part of the NFL Network's triple header, so the nation will get to see the Buccaneers and Jameis Winston, who's always entertaining. Um, You can read about him. I did a a column uh, in the Tampa Bay Times on Saturday talking to a lot of people across the country, um, guys, you know, that uh, Booger McFarland, guys on national TV, uh, also gathered quotes from, you know, people all over i talked to tony dungy the comparisons to peyton manning so make sure you check that out in the tampa bay times along with eduardo encina's story on the deep ball and how Jameis winston has gotten much better uh throwing that this season and that has been uh, through a lot of hard work and and uh planning with uh, clyde christensen and of course bruce arians in this offense so for eduardo encina i'm rick stroud of the tampa bay times thanks to matt baker hope you guys have a great weekend 